welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Hey everyone, welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Today's episode is a very important one. It is about mental illness, which is frequently misunderstood in society. From the stigma surrounding mental illness and its associated medications, all the way to people nonchalantly saying, I'm so ADD, I'm so bipolar, and uh, not really knowing what that means. So there's a lot that begs to be clarified here, and to help us through this is science communicator extraordinaire Cara Santamaria, who uh, you may have seen on Bill Nye Saves the World. You may have heard her on the podcast Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Uh, I myself met her through various science communication uh, events uh, in in the in the Southern California area. Uh, she and some other SciCommers put on SciCom Camp every year, which is a really fun event where SciCommers get together and talk about all things science and communication, uh, and also science and spirits which is a really fun thing where we get together and somebody gives a talk and we drink whiskey and talk about science. Uh, so if you're in the Southern California area, uh, check out SciComCamp.com and uh, Science and Spirits as well. Really fun events uh, for people who want to uh, communicate science. She can also be heard on her podcast, Talk Nerdy, which is at CaraSantaMaria.com. So uh, she's very busy doing a lot of stuff. And moderating for us today is John Gabris, a really funny guy, podcaster, actor. Uh, I feel like I've seen him in like 10 movies in the past year. He just kind of pops in and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I met him through podcasting as well. I did his podcast called The Layman. Um, and uh, his main podcast is called High and Mighty. So definitely check those out. Uh, and you can follow John on Twitter or Instagram at Gabrus, G-A-B-R-U-S. So that's our panel. It's a very silly episode, a lot of laughter, a lot of tangents, but we do circle back around and make some very important and valid points regarding mental illness and its perception and uh, just a lot of good info in here. So uh, let's go ahead and get into this episode and find out if we are all mentally ill. This is Professor Dave Debates. I'm John Gabris, and I will be moderating a debate between Dave and Kara. And the topic, and I guess now I know why Dave asked me to come over and host this little thing, is are we all mentally ill? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps at this table. Right? Yeah. Uh, hey, I mean, my wife and I always say that, like, oh, so, you know, I think we're mentally ill. Like, everything, when you see something like, oh, that behavior is unusual in someone wait a minute, we exhibit that behavior. Oh my God, are we the mm. weird ones? Yeah. So that's our big fear is that we are mentally ill or not our big fear, but that's we're coming around to enjoying being mentally ill. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm new, newly into therapy. I'm, uh, you know, about three months in. And, Good uh, for you. Yeah. yeah. Exciting. It's pretty exciting. And um, I'm finding out that uh, my dad fucked me up big time. I mean, I knew that because I bring him up all uh, the time yeah. and I do comedy and I scream and from beg for attention from I strangers. See, I see. Yeah. I've got oh. the same thing with my mom. So we, we can bond on that later. I think everybody has that to some yeah. extent. You don't come to Los Angeles if you had loving parents. Yeah. <laughs> one of them, one of the two had to screw you up. I definitely have a pair of socks that just says, it's my parents' fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dave, are we all mentally ill? Uh, I'm going to go with no. I don't know. I mean, we're going to talk about this quite a bit, but just uh, from a baseline, I'd like to think that uh, some people are, are nuts and most of us aren't. I guess I just, uh, I don't know. 
Also, bold to follow that with most of us aren't. Most of us. I mean, some percent. I mean, if if most of us are nuts, then isn't that just normal? I don't know. It's it's this is not my forte. But when I look around on the on, you know, in my environment, I think, all right, most of these people are acting pretty normally, a little too normally even. Uh, And then, of course, there's people who uh, are clearly wacko i guess cool so i don't know that's where i'll start and we'll see where we great get. What use do you of think? scientific yeah. terms i was gonna yeah. say these are all words that i probably should never say yes, so. right i'll say them you don't exactly. and i'll look stupid and you'll be even smarter by comparison also dave yeah. you're you, you got a science background you shouldn't look around and just assume someone's not crazy because they're cur- not currently exhibiting uh and mental illness. Yeah, but I, I, the shit I'm thinking when I walk down the street might <laughs> m- might be construed as. But I'm terrible. I, I don't. I don't understand humans. I understand molecules, so <laughs> right. I can't really look at humans and be like, "Okay, I see what you're all doing." It's not my. I don't recognize not my forte. behavior. Yeah, <laughs> putting you on a different spectrum of yes, sorts. Maybe. Exactly. Yes. Maybe we'll get into that. We'll Ooh, see. You if, use the word spectrum. Oh, I, I like that. that. Yeah. I'm just over here lobbing them up. Let <laughs> me know if you guys want to take a swing at anything. <laughs> yeah. So, carrot. Is he right? Um, <laughs> That's what an insane conversation it's started. It's so funny, too, because I feel like with any sort of debate show, there's always the yes, 100% or no, 0%. Mm. And really, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Almost always. Yeah. Um, my perspective, and this is an evolving perspective because I am a newly minted PhD student. Mm. I have an undergrad in psych and philosophy. I have a master's in neuroscience. I've been working as a science communicator for 10 years. And now I'm going back to school. So maybe I, maybe I'm somewhere on that. Um, I should probably mention I'm a radio TV film major. <laughs> <laughs> Undergrad radio TV film, no uh, studio art minor. Education um, is worthy across the board. Doesn't brilliant have to be. choice, actually, <laughs> to be honest. Easy. You, yes. No, well, so was an undergrad in psych at my school. Yeah. Um, that's partially why I decided to do it. And I didn't realize until towards the end of it that I actually really cared about the science of psychology. I was a bio major for two weeks. Look at I thought I was into science and I still am but I'm into science in the way that I want to talk on microphone to scientists I don't want to do science I don't want to learn it well I loved learning it I realized that I didn't really want to do it anymore either I'm with you on that love learning about it hate doing it yeah there is that and so now I'm I'm going back to school um, to, to learn clinical psychology which is totally different than my undergrad which was more research psychology and I'm learning all these things about, you know, mental illness and about the clinical world and psychopathology, but I'm still very new at it. So I think some of my perspectives in this conversation will be um, a bit academic, maybe a bit naive, maybe not fully fledged yet. And it'd be interesting to come back in like five years and see, you know, if let's I change my perspective. Let's come back and f- let's make a promise. Let's in come back here in five years and see where we, I mean, you guys can do I it mean, at my tombstone. <laughs> It's going to be a huge <laughs> podcast in five years, you guys. Well, yeah, yeah. pretty much the number one we'll podcast. We'll be doing it at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, you're going to be like, Kara, I'm sorry, I can't bump, I don't know. The the Einstein Neil, hologram. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the most fight? Bill Nye, yeah, <laughs> NGT, yeah. NDT. Those are the two big boys. Yeah. We've got so. Brian Cox, not here, but uh, over the pond, Brian Cox mm-hmm. is, um, is a big one. And then we luckily are starting to see more female representation. Mm-hmm. Oh, so... Jana Levin, for example, first female host of Nova. 
oh, amazing. Cool. Oh, that's right? awesome. So maybe she'll be on your show. I had her on my show recently, and she was fascinating. You want to talk about black holes instead? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go 20 minutes on this, okay. then we'll do a five-minute aside. I've been writing astronomy tutorials, so I'm like, uh, I've been thinking about space for the past nice. three weeks. Nice. So I would love uh, to talk about black holes. I'm a 36-year-old stoner, so I've been thinking about space a yeah, lot right. lately uh-huh. as well. <laughs> Man, That's it's right. fucking infinite, bro. <laughs> or is it? I love it. But so, yes, coming back to your question, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I would say that everyone is mentally ill, but I think my perspective is that mental illness really does exist on a spectrum, that we should really view it in a dimensional way instead of lumping people into um, kind of uh, diagnosable or not. And there's a hard line between the two. I really think that line is much more fuzzy. And we, the more that we start to understand that, I think the more that we can employ empathy as a society, also as diagnosticians, as clinicians, and as um, patients, as you know, probably a lot of people listening to this right now go to therapy. Mm -hmm. And maybe they have a diagnosis, maybe they don't, maybe they have a V-code, which is more like an adjustment disorder. You know, I'm going through a divorce, so I need a little bit of therapy. Mm -hmm. But maybe they have a diagnosis of major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. Maybe they have diagnosis of what we think of as more severe mental illnesses, like um, schizophrenia, bipolar, things of that nature. All of these things are um, are things that people now, luckily, we have the tools to, to live very normal, very healthy lives with, so long as we make sure that we keep up with our with our treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I should say right at the top, um, I personally, and I talk about this all the time publicly, have a diagnosis of major depressive disorder, moderate. That's comma moderate. That's the old DSM-4 diagnosis. As major and moderate in the title? So it's major depressive disorder is the diagnosis, and then there's different levels. levels. Yeah, and so mine has always kind of carried that moderate label. So I see a therapist once a week. I have most of my life, there have definitely been periods where, like when I was in college, I didn't prioritize my mental health when I probably should have. Um, I don't think any one of us might have done that. Yeah, but now I do. Now I've really I was prioritizing some naughty things. Exactly, I I was too. (laughs) Um, And so, so I. But for for most of my life, I've gone to therapy, and I also only recently, maybe I mean, it's not as recently anymore. Maybe in the past four or five years, started taking um, Celexa, which is the brand name of Citalopram, which is an SSRI, and I take twenty milligrams every day, and it legit changed Mm -hmm. my. Life. For those who don't know what that is, what's an SSRI? What a selective that? serotonin reuptake inhibitor, mm-hmm. which means that it works to ma- make sure that there's serotonin left over in the gap between my neurons and the synapse so that when the cell that takes in the serotonin um, needs it, there's enough available. Now, long story short, depression is very different in different brains. We still don't fully mm-hmm. understand how it works. It's one of those weird things where like drugs were developed and then we go, maybe this is a thing. And then people took them and they kind of felt better. And See we're like, cool, yeah. it seems to work, but it doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. SSRIs can actually be pretty detrimental for a lot of people. And they all affect people differently. They all affect people yeah. differently. Some people like norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Some people like dop- dopaminergic drugs. Some people can't find really an antidepressant that works for them. I'm very lucky. I started on an SNDRI, which made me feel like I was on meth and I couldn't sleep and I got suicidal for a few days and it was insane. Like, you know, the commercials say Mm -hmm. may cause suicidal idea. And then I was like, oh, I shouldn't be left alone. It was insane. And I called my therapist or my psychiatrist and was like, this is horrible. Why am I on drugs? And she was like, stop taking it right now. And then we tried this as the next drug. And I was like, holy shit, this is what it feels like to not be sad all the time. So when you're manifesting those thoughts, are you looking at your own thought process and going, this isn't like... 
how is this being manifested and this isn't normal or sort of. And I mean, I'm in a way I'm kind of lucky that I had the insight to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Because I have yeah. at least studied this stuff. Because just, I had, a, you know, you like self-awareness. And, and also I had studied neurophysiology and neurochemistry right. and kind of knew generally what was happening in my brain when I took these drugs. And now I know I'm very sensitive to norepinephrine. Like I don't need any more stimulants in my body. Mm-hmm. Even back in college when I was doing naughty stuff, I love downers. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we all Valium. Like there were drugs that I would take that I was like, this is great. I feel sober. I can sleep. I wake up the next morning and I feel a hundred percent. And when I would take like, when I tried Coke, I only did it like twice because I was like, this is horrible. Why does anybody want to walk around feeling like their heart's going to explode? Right. So it sounds like you're running a little hot to begin with. So not fun. Knocking you down brings you back towards medium. It was amazing. Exactly. And so, and it's weird because my SSRI does not, I don't feel like I'm on a drug. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd ever taken something where for about a week you're really tired, or at least this was my experience. I was super tired. I was like, I don't know if this is right for me. And then I normalized. And once I stepped up to the right dose, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is like what other people who don't right, have right, depression right, right. feel like. Isn't that crazy when <laughs> you find, uh, this is on a smaller scale, but I had been spending like the last few years not doing any exercise or taking care of myself mental <laughs> nothing for my mental health other mm-hmm. than like my stressful career of being a freelance, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then in the last couple of months, I've been going to therapy and I've been exercising regularly and I'm like, oh my God, this is how people feel. Like this is why people feel good. Yeah. This, this is, is like, like and, getting the brain and then I'm like, I fu- I've been fucking myself over for two years unbeknownst to me. This is like <laughs> the commercial of people like playing in the park, right. you know, and they're yeah. like, they look happy. And I never oh, understood when someone's bullshit. like, oh, I got to go for a run, get my head straight. Yeah. I was like, you sound like a freak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to so, smoke a joint and watch five hours of television. It's, yeah. it's very interesting though, because if, you know, that, because we're talking on the molecular level, does that seem to support support um, what, what you're saying in the sense that like if it is just about a certain concentration of, of a neurotransmitter then you know the quantitative amount of that neurotransmitter the you know the more or less of it that that's where we get the spectrum from is that part of it or yes and no because okay. the, a big problem is that I think historically if you look at like the history of psychology you know anybody who's studied psychology academically has taken you know, multiple history and systems classes and you look that early on it was actually kind of of a function of psychiatry or even neurology Mm -hmm. and then eventually psychology in and of itself became its own discipline and it went from being like a purely behavioral practice to going the exact opposite and being all about cognition Mm -hmm. and then it was you know we we went into the Freudian years where it was all about kind of like decisions that we make and all about like what we experienced as children weird sex stuff when you were yeah weird sex stuff all that phases of development the only chapter I read was the weird sex stuff chapter chapter that's like, everybody's favorite chapter, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. And then, and then we kind of went into this like newer neuropsychological place. And that's when I was an undergrad, I was hell bent like neuropsychology is going to change the face of psychology, and we can answer every question with it. And cognitive behavioral therapy, all the way, and blah blah. And now I have a completely different perspective, which is weird because I'm an evidence based thinker. Like I am a psychom person through and through, right? It's all mm-hmm. about the science. But the truth of the matter is we are nature and we are nurture and you mm-hmm. cannot extricate those two things. So you really can't explain somebody's psychiatric position fully just mm-hmm. by looking at what's happening in their brain. Which is why psychology will not be a physical science for many no. decades. And, you know? and the truth of the matter is um, 
A, it's because we don't fully understand mm -hmm. how consciousness arises. We don't, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like there are certain aspects of... Man, of I, that, let's, that's the pull quote for right. this. Yeah. Like, if yeah. I'm listening to this podcast at that moment, I'm like, go on. We, we understand the origin of the universe more than we understand Absolutely. Isn't I mean, that funny? It's, it's crazy, I was yeah. just talking about this on um, on one of the podcasts I work on, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and we I was covering a story about organoids, which are these little brain blobs. It's not a brain in a jar. It's not a mini brain. It's a chunk of brain tissue that's mm. used to like try and understand things at a certain level. We can go at the network level, the individual neuron level, and then we can go whole brain level. But we can really only do that in animals. It's not very ethical to open up like a human brain and just like mm -hmm. dig around. We do it sometimes during surgery. But, you know, there's a lot of lost opportunity. And so we we're talking about that organoid. And there's new ethics committees because now they're implanting them into other animals, human organoids that are built from pluripotent or stem cells, mm -hmm. implanting them. In. And it's like, how many cells does it take before it becomes conscious how many inputs does it need sensory inputs vision hearing until you smell have put human consciousness into another organism or just until these this blob of cells how big does a blob of cells right. have to be before it has enough interconnectivity for thought to arise oh, geez. you know what i mean like because we don't know yeah. pro-lifers getting erect oh yeah. Yeah. oh yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely which yeah. is why which is why these ethics committees exist because I mean, everybody really agrees that um, my phones are blowing up and it's very confusing. Oh, oh, I have an Amazon delivery coming. Nice. <laughs> See where your package is on the map. What'd um, you get? Uh, coffee. <laughs> More coffee. <laughs> I realized I was I'm low. not good on uppers, yeah. uh, but I'm getting a shipment of coffee delivered yes. to my house. Absolutely true. No, I realized I was low and I was like, hello, Prime. Um, oh, oh I God. just ordered dog food this morning. There you go. Did you see that thing where Bezos like released how many people are on Prime and it's like two thirds of the United States population? Oh, yeah. It's I just deleted mine. What? How yeah. do you live without your Amazon Prime? Because I can't, I can't do it. Like, I'm so anti-monopoly. Um, uh, I just I can't do it. I am so you know? pro one day shipping. <laughs> I'm so, I know, I know. I'm so pro things I need being placed into my hand. Exactly. Yeah. I'm so pro not going. I mean, to I a still store. occasionally use Amazon, but I just don't have Amazon. But eventually, we're gonna. It's we we are we are fucking ourselves by using Amazon constantly because we are just pricing. We're creating out a monster. I yeah, know. yeah. Well, I'm just like stop making the, me feel guilty. No, no. <laughs> about my coffee. I'm saying I'm it's saying a personal I do choice, it. Choice, I'm saying know? I do yeah. it. My wife and I are like trying to get down to only one day a week. Mm -hmm. We can add shit to the cart all week long, but then you have to add, you have to just hit deliver on like Friday. Oh, you're we, so smart. Because we just constantly, it's like a trickling of boxes and I'm yeah. recycling it all. And I know we're recycling, but it's like the energy that goes in recycling is like, I, I and feel like. And the cars like, driving to your house right, all day, every it day. It feels like we're doing something Well, soon wrong. it'll be drones. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least those don't take as much gas or yeah. any gas. Like I drive electric and I'm all proud of myself for driving electric and then there's this like giant UPS truck like going yeah. in my driveway every other day. There's so the, all these little battles we do because like my wife shuts off the water when I'm brushing my teeth because I like to let it run because mm -hmm. I like to constantly add cold oh, water. Oh yeah, you can't do that. It's and, terrible. Uh, no. <laughs> and then I'm like, I take a five minute shower. You take a 25 minute shower. Uh, right. Let me run that's the faucet for another more, 30 yeah. seconds. But it's hard when you have this luscious long hair, isn't it, Dave? I I, I wash it very rarely. I'm yeah. the same way. Actually. You didn't have to say that. No, but it's true. It's obvious. As a, as a girl, even like yeah. I, I probably I wash my hair I think twice a week. 
That's uh, it. I'm yeah. less than once a week. Probably. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I'm around but once or twice yeah, a week. Yeah, you really well. shouldn't wash your hair every day, as yeah. they say. I, I wash know. it when my wife is like, when was the last time you washed gotcha. your hair? I was like, um, tomorrow. <laughs> I basically, I wash my hair every time I have to be on camera. Yeah. <laughs> every other day I wear it in a ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> I, wash, I wash my hair when it's particularly dirty. Like if I was like, oh, I've been like rolling around in sand, <laughs> which <laughs> happens way more frequently in my life than it should. It's, we're a beach community over here. <laughs> yeah. you know? What are you going to wa- do? Oh, come on. I'm underemployed. We, and within a 20 minute drive to the ocean yes. I think it works out you're pretty so well. not a 20 minute drive to the ocean well you're we host we host yes yeah. I am trust me I do. I, and now we're alienating all of our non no, Los Angeles if you take the 405 to the fuck does anybody watch um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend speaking no. of psychology oh it's oh. so funny and yes. they live in West Covina there's a whole song West Covina California <laughs> and like it's always a big joke that, that they're, they're like, like the beach is three hours away yeah, four was so far four, yeah. four in traffic yeah. mm-hmm. and it's so true like I live in LA and I never go to mm-hmm. the beach because it, yeah, it's never an go. hour away from my house. An hour to the beach is still fucking amazing. It's a, It could be 45 minutes to go to the Galleria. <laughs> yeah. You might as well just spend the hour. I to go get, to Malibu once, like twice a year probably. Yeah. Yeah. I go to Malibu probably uh, once a week. Maybe oh, twice a week. I go to Malibu yeah. and I'm nice. visiting Jason Goldman because he lives up there. <laughs> and that's the only time I ever see Very the good. ocean. <laughs> yes. True. Let's talk about every neighborhood in Los Angeles. Right? Okay. Go. Also, I just I just um, planted the seed for you to have him on your podcast because he'd be a lot of fun. That'd be great. Yes, yeah. I would he, love to have. He ooh, he can talk about urban wildlife. Okay, oh, I love that's that. That's his specialty. I have not had any anything quite like that. Yeah, yet. you could argue why you shouldn't have native gardens in your backyard, like a dick, and then he could argue why you should. I'll argue I don't want to. I don't want to have a garden. <laughs> I'm too goddamn busy. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, are we talking about psychology today? Yes. Let's get back to Let, it. Yeah, well, yeah, that should be my job, right? The okay. moderator. Hey, Dave, let's get back to it. <laughs> Even though yeah, I have no idea moderator. what we're talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so we we mentioned some words. Right. Yeah. So here, I have some uh, vocab questions. Okay. okay. Did you say, it couldn't have been V-card, but it's something mm-hmm. like that? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not V-card, but I remember- V-code. V-code. Oh. Yes. Okay, that's what it was. Um, so what is the what is a V-code? So this is me operating off of the DSM-4-TR, which is what mm. I was trained on. Now I'm learning the DSM-5, so I apologize for like people like myself who are just now getting into psychology again, because- um, Every few years, they put out a new book. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. They call it the Psychologist Bible, Psychiatrist mm-hmm. Bible. Will you talk about that for like 30 seconds for people who don't know what that is? Yes. Yeah, so it's it's this book that has all of the diagnostic codes in it. There's also the ICD, which is now the ICD-10, which I can't even remember what it stands for. International mm-hmm. something, something. So it was That's the what, king of the categorical, right? It was, you have you are this, you are this, you have this, you have this. Sort of, yeah, yeah. You know. So So it's got a long and storied history, and mm-hmm. it's a very political book. Mm-hmm. So you oh. wouldn't think about it, but it's it's usually authored by teams of people. Um, sometimes they've had independent authors write it, but they try and get input. Sometimes, almost every time a new one comes out, the people who wrote the last one write scathing reviews about how they did everything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could go in. I did a whole. I took a whole class where basically that's what we learned was like DSM one when it first came out. You know, this was what they were trying to do. DSM two came out and corrected some of the wrongs, but made more mistakes than DSM three. And then there's the text. So DSM. 4TR. TR stands for text revision. So it was like a 4.2 version. Okay, okay. But now we're on the DSM-5. It was a big thing in the making. And it's sort of an attempt to bring in some dimensional thought to a categorical system. So let's talk about what yeah, that means. absolutely. Categorical means... You have it or you don't. You have it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, according to... Box check. Yes. According yeah. to these criteria, usually it's like 
five out of these seven yeah, or you know, like three you out of these nine. Depressed yeah. or exactly. sounds like you are manic. Like, do you have this, 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 and this? Okay, you at least qualify for five of them. So at this point, I am justified in, in writing you that diagnosis. Um, dimensional means that it exists on a spectrum. And how depressed are you, right? Because especially a lot of these mood disorders, anxiety disorders, things mm -hmm. of that nature, the terminology that we use to describe them is everyday terminology that we use to describe normal human emotions. Right. And so it's Everybody like... Everybody experiences anxiety yes, of some kind at or At what another. point are you yeah. clinically anxious? Exactly. Yeah. Or everybody knows what it's like to be depressed, what but do you know what clinical depression feels like? stressful things happen to me every single day? This well, brings me to uh, something I wanted to throw mm -hmm. out because this was yeah. a hypothesis I wanted to shout out here is because you hear in court dramas or in real life court temporary insanity oh, yeah mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i could imagine that like you're saying it's uh spectrum but also it could be in waves right you can, and it be, can be induced you can have temporary anxiety you can have temporary depression yeah it's right? called yeah. like being a human being right and being mm -hmm. alive every day and so um one clarification is that it, insanity as a as a descriptive term is never used in psychology right. no a, one is considered insane yeah but it is a legal term still right oh, okay so it's like one of those weird things where psychology all term yeah forensic yeah. psychologists often work within the legal system and so they have to kind of bend their language to make sense for the legal system mm. but really the idea is that if somebody is and it's a rare def it's used a lot but it's a rare defense that works but if somebody actually has like severe let's say schizophrenia they're unmedicated they commit a crime which is quite rare most people who experience psychotic disorders are nonviolent, but they commit some sort of crime because they um are literally not aware of reality yeah. mm -hmm. and they you know vandalize something or they injure something or whatever they may be able to use that defense they you know got a history of it they can prove that at that time they were unmedicated and then they shouldn't go to prison. It's not the best place for them. They should go to a psychiatric treatment facility. Right. So that's really where that comes from. So it, it, isn't that sort of highlighting a, a, like a category of disorders that could be categorical? Wouldn't schizophrenia be categorical? Because we're not all experiencing hallucinations to some degree or split personalities to some degree. You would right? think, right? But okay, there's this great book that I highly recommend to everybody. You guys know who Oliver Sacks is? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Why do I know who? Because he's um, he was amazing. He recently right. passed away, and I think there was a new wave of him in the news. He was the reason I got into psychology and neuroscience like reading his books fascinated me and so he wrote a very famous book called the man who mistook his wife for a hat okay yeah that's, that's his most that. famous I'm, book yeah. um he also wrote a book called awakenings which they made a movie with Robert that's where i know it from mm -hmm. yeah, yeah love that movie and so he was a neurologist um but had this very psych and robin williams right robin williams yeah, yeah amazing yeah, he had this <laughs> very one thing i know about is the movies so i'm like yes. let me get in some information sound educated <laughs> like you guys can, radio tv film major cinema buff <laughs> can i ask you like that was one of the there's a handful of movies in, in this world, like Hotel Rwanda, like where like when I watch it, I ugly cry, like, <laughs> like out loud. And oh, Awakenings one, was... Awakenings is for sure yeah. one of them. Don't watch it on a plane, Holy you guys. Crap, yeah. Do not watch it on a plane. <laughs> it's like I rough. almost cried watching Cool Runnings last time I was on the plane. Yeah, so, yeah. The everything plane? makes okay. you cry on the plane. <laughs> That's like the science question I want to ask. Yeah. Is it the mm -hmm. elevation? Is it the fact that there's like weird pressure? Is it because you're often leaving something you love or heading towards something you love on a plane? Why are we so activated to It's hard leave? to say why, but there's also um, a hypothesis that I was reading about this recently. There's a hypothesis that almost 
more than in any other place in your life, you are like tunnel vision to your screen on a plane. Yes. Because you're wearing the headphones to block out everything else. Your screen's right in front of your face and you're actively in your own world. Whereas yeah. when you watch a movie at home, even at the movie theater, there's like that you're eating the popcorn you're aware and there's that things there's going people. on. Yeah. yeah. And so there's something about just being really attuned to it also. Because I, I cried during Million Dollar Arm, the John Hamm cricket movie. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> it's a Disney movie. It's like for kids. And I'm fucking Oh yeah, I cry all the time. I cry kids. in TV. Yeah. But there's, okay, I cried during, so do you guys know who Steve Gleason is? Mm. No. Mm. Okay, Steve Gleason, I want to say he's a friend. We follow each other on Twitter. Uh, yeah, That's it counts, right? And we, ha- we have DM'd, so come <laughs> oh. on. Modern um, definition of Slide friendship. into the DM. So he was a, um, yeah, name drop. He was um, a NFL player, I think for the Saints? New Orleans, that's the Saints, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and he was diagnosed with ALS. And when he first got his diagnosis, found out that his wife was pregnant. And so this film, it's a documentary about the um, the kind of decompensation, the changes throughout the ALS diagnosis, getting trached, going through all of the things that come when you... Uh. And his aunt, him making a documentary so that because he knows by the time his kid is old enough he won't be able to talk to him anymore oh, man. oh my god and it reminds I was, me of the michael keaton movie my life which is there a you go and this is like a real too. document and so like i'm watching it the flight attendant asks me if i'm okay <laughs> and like what she can do and then i Hold text me yeah and then i like dm steve i'm like thanks for making me cry like a fucking idiot on the plane and he's like no problem <laughs> <laughs> like okay. Like, yeah, um, sorry you got so sad from my situation. Yeah, yeah. No, but he was like, that must have been hard <laughs> for yeah, you. Exactly. <laughs> what a difficult situation you are. Very in. <laughs> funny though. He is like such a funny guy. I highly recommend everybody follow him. He's amazing. You can watch. You know, you can follow his journey and kind of like really feel the feels, obviously, and learn a lot about ALS because he's a great advocate. But anyway, watch his documentary. Is basically what I'm saying. So watch me moderate. Jumping back to. Um, <laughs> You just read a book that was saying that there can be some, an Oliver Sacks book that there can be. Oh my be. God, you were, we were talking about Oliver Sacks. You're yeah. so good at your job. Yeah. Thank this you great. so yes. much. I'm what's you called a good listener. <laughs> you were asking about schizophrenia or other yeah. psychotic disorders. Yeah, can in other can words, there be a spectrum of hallucinations? Well, yeah, or just in other words, there seem to be things that must be categorical sure. only. So, so Oliver Sacks wrote a great book called Hallucinations and mm-hmm. he experienced them a lot throughout his life because he had um, declining vision mm-hmm. and a lot of complications with his vision as he was getting older. I personally have something that's called a visual migraine or a retinal migraine. I've never experienced headache pain from a migraine, but I experienced something that a lot of people who have the headache part would describe as their aura, the thing that comes before the headache. Mm-hmm. I've never had the headache. Where oh, so you just get a free trip and none of the pain. Yeah, but it's it's actually really effed up. So okay. it happens when I haven't slept. Um, it happens when I'm like overly stressed. I was talking to Steve Novella, who is the host of the SGU, the Skeptics Guide. He is an academic neurologist, works at Yale, and is a headache doctor. And so I'm like, Steve, am I dying? And he's like, No, but get a get your head scanned. I'm like, Okay. And they're like, Your brain looks perfectly healthy. You just have retinal migraines. Okay. What does that mean? Well, I get really like I. I don't know when it's coming ever, but every time it comes, I can Monday morning quarterback and be like, probably should have slept more that week. Mm -hmm. Probably shouldn't have been on 10 planes that week. Mm -hmm. Um, I get this thing where it's called a scintillating scotoma. It's a little glittery line that starts small and I can see it starting and my vision starts to go a little bit and I'm like, oh crap, I know I'm about to get a retinal migraine and it grows like a lightning bolt across my vision Mm -hmm. and it's glittery. And the problem is it's still there when my eyes are closed. 
So you can't close your eyes to get rid of it. Can't read. Can't drive. Can't see. It's so distracting. How long does that last? Only about twenty to forty minutes, mm-hmm. and then it, it's gone. Only forty minutes of yeah, lightning bolt. Yeah, only is not the word I would yeah. use. So it's, not, it's not painful. It just obscures not painful. Your but Steve told me he's like, "Hair, you need to still treat it like a mm-hmm. regular migraine headache. Go to a dark room. Keep your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Don't read. Don't watch TV. Take NSAIDs. Like take mm-hmm. naproxen or whatever you usually take in order to um to you know." feel better and let it pass and go to sleep like try your best mm-hmm. to sleep um and stay hydrated obviously but um it's 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 a weird experience and it definitely qualifies as a hallucination mm-hmm. and i am you know i would say categorically do not have schizophrenia right, right, right. but it starts to get complicated when you talk about things like pareidolia or you talk about things like What's um, pareidolia? so pareidolia is a really cool concept we talk about a lot in the skeptic community which is seeing patterns in random noise we're very good at it as yeah, human humans beings. in general are mm-hmm. great yeah like you ever look at like a random assortment of things and you see faces mm-hmm. we're very good at faces yeah. Yeah. we're especially good at faces yeah. clouds yeah there's actually <laughs> i think there's like a twitter account called like faces and things and mm-hmm. it's amazing it's all just oh, like yeah, buildings yeah. and drawers yeah. And, yeah it's just so that plugs. when we're infants we look at uh, at our mommy and daddy and go that is why that's i like that yeah <laughs> even though it's like just a weird blur at the time yeah, exactly. yeah. um yeah. and and so we're amazing at it we saw the face in mars and the face in the moon and all mm-hmm, the things mm-hmm. but we also find patterns in other um, inputs. So we often hear our cell phone ringing even when it's not. Or at least we used to. Now it's turned into vibrating. Yeah, I I get that. Because people don't use their ringers anymore. So now the Mm -hmm. vibration thing is Mm -hmm. is more common. uh, And this maybe is an element of my severe narcissistic disorder. But I often (laughs) hear my name in chatter. Very Mm -hmm. common. You know, like like out in a crowded area, I'm like, someone just said Gabrus. Mm -hmm. Someone just said, and my wife's like, no one's saying your name. They just pump your brain. Yeah, you have a very odd name. A very different name. Gabrus is your given name. That's my last name. Oh, yeah. Oh, gotcha. I grew up in like the 90s where everyone, every Used dude was going by yeah, their last. Right. We had five Jonathans and, in our junior high. Gotcha. And sports teams. Yeah. And yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. We, yeah. we hear our names being called. We hear familiar things. We hear like people's voices. We hear phantom rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- those are hallucinations, really. We even have... Um, uh, so those are auditory. Visual is less common for sure. That's, mm-hmm. um, but also even in schizophrenia, visual hallucinations are way less common than mm-hmm. auditory hallucinations. Um, but we also have tactile hallucinations. Hypnagogic and hypnopompic are very common. So as you're falling asleep and as you're waking up, oh, super yeah. common oh, yeah, time yeah. to experience. Because that's when my wife will snap awake and say a spider was just landing yes, on her. Yes, or, or I felt pressure, like when people have that disorder where they are paralyzed sleep and they paralysis. feel the, yeah. the pressure on their chest. I've that, had that like five times ever horrifying it's the worst thing ever yeah and it's where a lot of like alien abduction kind of fantasies come in all that and it's a it's a normal human experience Mm -hmm. so if you really think about it you know well because then what we're saying here is kind of there is a spectrum Mm -hmm. to the idea of Mm -hmm. even hallucination even something as severe as schizophrenia yeah it's not full-blown trails on your hands and bugging out i wonder about the underlying mechanism is it mechanistically different the when you're perceiving Mm -hmm. reality completely differently like a schizophrenic person that's having and also is it mechanistically different from um for example induced hallucinations from taking you know psychotropic drugs right so i 
feel, but I don't think there's any way to provide evidentiary support of this, mm -hmm. that because I dropped a lot of acid in college and did a lot of ecstasy, like I, it's easier for me to slip into a hallucinatory state than somebody mm -hmm. else. You know what I mean? You're closer to the, yeah, like, closer to the void. Like when I'm kind of <laughs> tired, I might have more kind of of those breathing hallucinations yeah. or like the little glittery kind of um, mm -hmm. like cognitive, uh, or sorry, um, cosmic micro uh, microwave background, you know, like the fuzz on the TVs, like yeah, yeah. the floor might look like that if it's really patterny, like patterns might move a little more for me. Nothing big like, oh, there's a big green monster dancing in the kitchen, but I never experienced that on acid either. Right, My no, poor wife yeah, experiences that all the time. <laughs> It's the middle of the night and the green monster is yeah, looking for the mint chocolate chip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the big green that's monster. That's just like, that's an excuse for you to overeat. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I'm the, sounds like I put me. on a monster yeah. outfit, so it's like, I pretend it's her hallucination. <laughs> now, I hear what you're saying, though. Like, it's it's almost like that area of your brain has been colored in by your own personal experiences. I, I, I feel the same way. I sort of have access to, like, drug states or mm -hmm. altered states just because I've experienced them so many times that I'm like, I'm, I'm like permanently 5% on mushrooms. <laughs> yes. And it's hard to know. You know. Is it because the neuro, really the architecture of your brain changed a little mm. during those experiences? And is it because of the induced drug? Is it because of the behavior that you experienced while you were taking the drug? Did your actual synaptic connections wander a little bit? Is or there, new ones formed. Or new ones formed. Or some die. Were you more right. pruned in a very specific way? I think the act oh, of... Shit, of I like that mm -hmm. sentence right there <laughs> like that was very a very <laughs> visual intriguing well because like, that's really how we grow up right we start with actually way more neuronal connections mm -hmm. as babies it's not the other way around you start with all these connections that kind of don't make sense and then as you have as you stop imagining yeah, and really as you just live life and <laughs> yeah. you, you have inputs in your eyes and your ears and your nose and your mouth and all of that they prune we're a learning computer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And as we as they prune, they they strengthen and then we start to have things like memories mm -hmm. and we start to have things like expectations and what we call heuristics in psychology. Yeah. Um, and a narrow worldview for some that also tends to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a lot of argument about what creativity is and what are the brains of creative mm -hmm. people look like mm -hmm. and how do you even mm -hmm. define creativity? And yeah. so uh, Narrow worldview make, makes me think that we are continually being pruned until we are we 60, are. and then we just scream at our television. Yeah, and then we're just all Republicans. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. right. You start to see, like, the only thing I see in my view is the mirror <laughs> and my white, wealthy children. So <laughs> let's Fox, take care of and that. And Fox News. We're all wealthy in this scenario? I know, I know. Wow, well, I can't <laughs> wait. I'm impressed. As you get and older. wait, we're all, like, super white, too? I'm very confused. <laughs> Serena, are you Italian? I'm Italian, yeah, which right. is, like... It's it 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 borderline. It counts as white. It counts as white. Yeah, I'm it Puerto counts as white. You pass. Yeah. I'm Puerto Rican, which is a weird thing because it's also white but not. Right. Like I'm yeah. Latino. It's American but not white. Yeah. Which well, is the very and also it's thing. one of those weird things where because race. I mean, ooh, maybe we could have had that conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm in, firmly in the camp of race as a construct. Mm -hmm. It is not a biological definition by any stretch. We mm -hmm. the more we learn about it, the more we know that ethnicity. We can point to like historical tracks of DNA. Then again, we all came, migrated out of Africa. Mm -hmm. But weirdly, a lot of people that live in Puerto Rico were Spanish immigrants. And so even though it's a Latina nation, mm -hmm. it's racially, quote unquote, very white. It's mm -hmm. ethnically Latina and racially very white, which is super weird. And so I look like you wouldn't know, like my mom is like a white lady, but she's like 
born in Puerto Rico. Like mm-hmm. Spanish was her first language, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it's I mean, I grew up in New York, so I think I can relate for sure. <laughs> yeah, New York. She was actually she grew up in New York too. Of She's New York Rican for sure. Nice. <laughs> I uh, I met. I've been to Puerto Rico a few times for vacation. And I met way more Puerto Ricans in elementary in New- school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Clinging I for- to the I identity. Forget, there was some sketch one time I saw. It was like, "Welcome to Puerto Rico," and it was like a picture of like it was like the sketch takes place. It's clearly New York City. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, hilarious. Look how many Puerto Ricans are here? There's like, it's like no the Empire State trees. Building. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a whole other funny thing where mm-hmm. like what yeah, what is race? What is ethnicity? It's a spectrum. It's it it's it, it is. Well, especially now. It's like yeah. we're so melting pot. You can go to other countries where there's been a lot less like quote unquote mixing, right. you know, and it's much easier to see. But also whole other conversation about sort of imperialism colonialism mm-hmm. the history of science the history of genetic studies mm-hmm. starting as a eugenics thing moving into mm-hmm. what we now call genetics and when you look at like 23 and me which i think is really interesting you can debate the privacy issues for sure it's like 90 percent white people that sign up for 23 and me and so you're we're like, all begging to be 10 percent uh african so that we can yeah. try to get a scholarship oh, or some horrible. shit yeah no three <laughs> percent because all, all white people want to hear is that they're, they're special. special. Yeah. But like, also yeah. there are like entrenched historical reasons that ethnic minorities don't want to put their data in a right. database. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is completely fair. Yeah. But because of that, we have a, a white history problem in mm-hmm. modern science. You know what I mean? So there's just all these things that go into my it. My great-grandmother which... was raped by somebody of this ethnicity. Oh, my, my God, I know, right? was raped by somebody of this ethnicity. I know. No, they were all raped yeah. by white people. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Other way Other around. Way around yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Who did white people rape the most? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's terrible. And no, of course, you can't control your, your genetic history, obviously. Like, you had nothing to do with the decisions of your grandparents and your great-grandparents. Yeah. But it is, I think important for us to learn about the more unsavory aspects of our genetic history, which we did not in psychology. I mean, gosh, coming back to psychology, I just wrote a paper, which was semi-popular and semi-really unpopular in my cognitive assessment class about how basically intelligence testing was fully predicated on rich white Europeans trying to prove that black people are inferior. Like that's real. Many of the early, not just intelligence testing advocates, Binet, not so much, but a lot of the other ones, the people who developed a lot of early intelligence tests, but especially the the, um, the statistics. So all the people that you might have heard of, like Pearson and Spearman, uh, like Pearson's correlation co- coefficient, you might have heard of him. Spearman came up with factor analysis. All these different people were all eugenicists. Mm-hmm. They were all eugenicists. And people were still using that way later, right? Oh, yeah. Later. And I mean, I think it's changed and it's evolved and we've worked really hard. But when people try to make the the debate like, oh, yeah, there's, a, you know, there's some bad stuff in the past. But like, really, we've it's like, no, it's predicated on bad stuff. Mm-hmm. It was foundationally developed yeah, to is... prove. And, and, and now when people are like, like they read the bell curve and they're like, there's some good points made in here. And you're like, OMG, like. No. Yes, there's a reason that African Americans are a standard deviation lower than than um, Caucasian Americans on intelligence tests across the board, and it's not because they're a standard deviation 
less smart is because the tests were developed to prove that they right. were less smart. So they were developed only with the perspective and of you have to take socioeconomic privileged factors white people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's insanity. Also, white people are making the test for white, right. you know. Oh yeah. my gosh. But, but are we, but uh, then I look at something closer to like an IQ test. And that, that is an IQ test. Little, oh, you are talking about mm, an IQ test. Yeah. But like One for standard me, deviation lower on IQ tests, African-Americans okay. in general. Is that, okay. so there are modern approaches that are attempting to really work at mm-hmm. it. And the Wexler, I think, does a better job, but you still have to look at yeah. the norms tables. Um, sorry to get like, Wonky. There has to be something that's that's purely measuring mental capacity. They work really hard at it. Things like that. You know? So there's a whole field of psychology called psychometrics. I'm fascinated by it. Um, and I just finished a psychometrics class working on this. And there's a very complicated statistical approach called um, item response theory, which works really hard at getting to the roots of... How why do certain people answer certain questions differently? Is it an implicit bias? Is it because of a difference in cognition? And it's sometimes really hard to extricate those two things. But a great example is that, um, what is it called? ETS? Educational Testing Service? That's an American company that does like the GRE and the SAT and all of those things, right? So in America, you have to take the SAT to go mm-hmm. to college. And they... Those have, I would more readily believe are biased. Well, those are actually less biased. They work oh, really? really hard at it. Yeah. So, okay. so but they, they have been biased, right? Because they're written by white people. Mm-hmm. And then they go through this like staunch testing thing. So there was a perfect example in one of my textbooks. So the you, you remember analogies on yeah. the SAT? So it would be like strawberries are too red as lemons are too. And then the answer Oh no, I've never no. seen a strawberry. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be strawberries are too red as blank are to blank. That's how they would do it. Mm-hmm. And so there are all these different questions. And by and large, Latino Americans would choose grasses to green instead of lemons are to yellow. And they were like, why are Latino like they're not dumb? Like, why are they picking this one? And it's because in many Latino countries Lemons are lemons green. are green. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so it's they like, never get to the oh phone. crap, that's a freaking biased question that <laughs> yeah, I never yeah, even yeah. realized because I never lived in a place where lemons were mostly. Also, green. Also, it feels like grass is to green as strawberry is to red is sort of also a correct. It's also analogy. sort of also yeah. correct. It's yeah. just yeah. missing the fruit component, right, which is right. slightly more correct. If and so then they had to mm. like redo it and come up with a fruit that from the time it is on the vine to the and also a fruit that people are exposed to because it can't be some bougie fruit, you know? Yeah. It can't be like mm-hmm. I don't know as fennel. It's you know, <laughs> like whatever. Poisonberries. Exactly. No, Huckleberries. The, what's the one in Portlandia where they put in the in the pancakes? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, I Just put a bird on yeah. it. El- elderberries. Elderberry. Yeah, exactly. Like that can't be. Yeah. It has to be like a well-established. It's in yeah. every culture. So it's really hard to even mm-hmm. make a purely unbiased the test question. The average price of caviar is what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Driving a Saab is to blank. Yeah. You're like, what? Yeah. The thing is, I always was, uh, you know, I, people would be like, black people don't know what a regatta is. It's like, I, I don't, I've never been to a regatta. What's a regatta? It's like a, a sailing thing. It's yeah. like a boat thing. I, don't I know, only know what it is from the I mean, film One Crazy Summer. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too. Again, because race is in many ways like really a construct. A lot of times what we're talking about is SES, not even race. We're just talking about the experience. Status. Yeah, yeah, socioeconomic yeah, yeah. status. The experience of growing up in certain neighborhoods, of growing yeah. up with certain cultural you know, pressures, cultural ramifications, all that stuff. We're right. such products of our culture, which comes back to being dimensional or categorical. Okay. Yeah. Except it doesn't really. <laughs> no, it does. I'm sure. All right. Let me think about it for a minute. In the sense that literally everything is a spectrum. It comes well, back to that's the thing. Everything much. really yeah. is a spectrum, right? And so as I'm developing the skills to eventually become a psychotherapist, um, I am thinking about things in this way. Mm-hmm. So there are different 
do you guys know about the um you do probably dave because your wife is a is why mm. is she not the one sitting in this chair by the she, way listen we've talked about it she she'll be on here one day okay she's, she's not she doesn't like she to might. be on camera talk uh, record all my wife no wants camera. to do is be on my podcast she's, she's <laughs> done you one episode okay. and i let her do one episode on the hundredth episode and she's been begging to come back on <laughs> when she gets when mad I'm when i have other people on That's that aren't her i yeah. want to do i think i want to do freud versus young with my wife i think that, that would be, be good. Yeah. really good I'll, I'll just take freud because i know she's young and i'll just <laughs> ask really bizarre disgusting questions amazing <laughs> have her counter but i feel like finding the spectrum like adding nuance to stuff never hurts, right? That, that's mm-hmm. how oh, I feel. Yeah. Like, so why, like, especially for science people, you mm-hmm. would say like, yeah, it can't be yes or no necessarily. Oh, yeah, you it, always say there, there's enough evidence to disprove the null hypothesis. Right. Right. Exactly. Like we feel yeah. cost some, 98% confident, mm-hmm. uh, and you would never say prove, can't do it, not right. science. We've proven this. Nope, can't mm-hmm. do it. We know for a fact that this, nope, We none of us know. What did James Randi's famous quote was like, I can't prove that there are no unicorns in Ecuador. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like, as a skeptic, you can't always prove, you can't, prove a negative like that you about, just have to exist as if that's the case mm-hmm. when it comes the, there has to be a time like for example when it comes to treatment like you need to mm-hmm. uh, administer a diagnosis in order to prescribe something or you know something totally. like that so how do they work together how does dimensional and categorical how do they come together it's an interesting question and i guess i want to take a step back which is you know we mentioned your wife your wife is a psychotherapist right mm-hmm. she has a psid she's mm-hmm. and sh- her specialty is she's a union psycho psychotherapist that's her orientation that's her yeah. orientation mm-hmm. so that means that she so yeah maybe we could talk about that first so in i'm learning all of these things now and i'm just declaring quote unquote an orientation at my university we offer three tracks there are universities where all they do is cbt cognitive behavioral therapy many of you listening who go to therapy probably have a cognitive behavioral therapist it's the new thing it's the trendy thing it's the thing that most insurance companies are willing to cover it's it's the guy who's closest to my apartment there you go (laughs) me too i don't know what my guy is i just go every like two or three months and i'm like this is what's bothering me right now we can figure out what he is based on how he reacts Um, yeah so does he say no you don't have to do that you get to do that. Or he does says, he You're say, a piece of shit, you privileged asshole. <laughs> does he say, here's your homework? Yes. No. Not for me. I get You're homework. CBT. You're not CBT. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 also, I also get the, uh, you're not anxious, you're excited. Interesting. <laughs> and which yeah. I really like that terminology because they are the same, okay, well, but give one me just my has a positive spin. Where I'm, like, pills, I'm, feeling, yeah, I'm feeling some excitement about this audition. Yeah. And I'm that's feeling, interesting because that, I don't know if that's purely CBT or that's your guy's approach, but yeah. like definitely is there homework? Is there some sort of um, kind of visualizations? Manu- yeah. Are there manualized treatment approaches that are like, now we're going to try this thing. Now yeah. we're going to go through these steps. That's very CBT. CBT is mm. great for anxiety. It's great for a lot of other things too. CBT is generally short term therapy, blah, blah, blah. Um, my guy just listens to me talk about my white people privileged problems. Probably, your guy's probably psychodynamic, like your <laughs> wife, um, but might not be. My therapist is psychodynamic. So that mm-hmm. is, had roots in Freud. Some people stick with the Freudian stuff. Usually if you call it psychodynamic, not psychoanalytic, you're like kind of like you're st- eschewing Freud, but still staying somewhat in the, like you might okay. be Jungian, or you might want to take the good stuff from all of it and get rid of all the stuff that we've since kind of disproven. Mm-hmm. Um, my... Uh, my orientation that I'm really interested in is existential humanistic. And so this is a more modern, kind of a little bit more of a, um, what do you call it? There's a word I'm looking for. I'm doing the the hand motion Synergistic. right now. It's sort of taking the 
the good stuff from a lot of other orientations. And there's a word for that. Though. Hodgepodge. Yeah, I'm going to call that. <laughs> that's what it says in my text. Yeah. <laughs> the hodgepodge. Integrated. I don't know. In, um, yeah, integrative. I yeah, would say, yeah, so existential cool. is really based on early existential philosophy um, and then more modern stuff. So a lot of it is about, um, A, dealing with what we think of as existential. Uh, causes of existential angst so a lot of the drivers behind psychological kind of discomfort are like fear of death fear of loneliness these kinds of things that are fundamental to human Mm -hmm. nature but also there's this dimensional quality to existential psychotherapy that's very attractive to me now in orientation there's no right or wrong this is look at it like when psychotherapists are first learning how to do psychotherapy their approach is going to be oftentimes based on how they um just what feels right to them. We're still looking at evidence. We're still, you know, learning about the history of psychology. We're still looking at treatment opportunities that are evidence-based. But how, what is your approach? It's what speaks to you the most and where you'll probably be actually the most effective. Mm-hmm. Existential humanistic psychotherapy has this um, dynamic kind of dimensional approach to it, which is all about ambivalence, which to me speaks very... Um, true so everybody in life is dealing with the fact that they simultaneously let's say for example love their significant other and resent them <laughs> they simultaneously want all good of the, example i mean for you, other no, people for everybody not for yeah. me. that's for a good everybody. that's a good Doesn't example apply to me, you hear that yeah. babe yeah. <laughs> if you're example. in a relationship you are simultaneously craving the comfort that you get from it and bemoaning the lack of freedom that you have. Mm-hmm. If you're out of a relationship, you're simultaneously loving the lack of freedom or loving the freedom that you have, but desperately wanting companionship. This is also called grass is greenerology. Yes, but yeah. it's because both of those things exist at the same time. Right. And I think we tend, like you were mentioning, nuance is a good thing. Gray areas are a good thing. And we tend as human beings, partially because of evolution, partially because of societal influences to think in a very black and white terms. And the truth of the matter is the world just doesn't work like that. So we are simultaneously desperately afraid of death and morbidly curious by it, right? Mm -hmm. Where all these things are happening at the same time. And I think that that does ring true with mental illness as well. But you're right. We still have to think of this from a practical perspective. At what point do we want to treat Mm-hmm. At what point? I personally think everybody should be in psychotherapy. No yeah. harm, no foul. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I mean, just everybody has their little problems that you know. You what are you going to go make your friends listen to you talk about? <laughs> yeah. my, that was like my YouTube not channel's not healthy. big enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm going to tell the guy who gets paid to listen to me talk about. It, that. There is an element of that that is just like because you wouldn't. Maybe there's some things you would like edit yourself from saying to a significant other or obviously you're not going well, to yeah, complain about like dynamics in the relationship to your partner. Maybe you should. Right. You Maybe should, you but within, yeah. within reason. Healthy reason. Right. Yeah. There are things <laughs> or, that you never tell your or, partner. You exactly. They're them. like, yeah. you yeah. don't go like, you're really letting yourself go. Like, <laughs> that's just not something. Like, there's just nothing good is going to come of that. I think I'm looking at too many plus size models on Instagram. What was that, babe? Uh, <laughs> yeah, nothing. Exactly. You know what? I shouldn't have brought that up. Yeah. I'll save that for Barry. Exactly. How progressive of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so uh, but like I think at minimum as someone who just is new to therapy and, and never really has ever done mm-hmm. it before but because I'm in comedy every single one of my friends is either Jewish or stressed or both um, Jew I guess, stress. is yeah. Jew stress different than regular stress <laughs> and it's, I don't think it just they comes schwitz. with the, I, I don't understand like you're saying <laughs> yeah that's the difference mm-hmm. I yeah. don't understand ethnicity and you know race and all that but 
they have some fundamental things they're dealing my with. My boyfriend, yeah. hilariously, like he is the worst Jew ever, right? Because like, A, he's a non-believer, which is fine. That's the cool thing about Judaism. Mm-hmm. My best friend, uh, Jason, actually, is mm-hmm. simultane- simultaneously the most Jewish person I've ever met, if you can even say that. But he has like the Judaica bookshelf and he does like um, Israeli folk dancing and all this stuff. And he's also the most atheist person ever and he like loves a good bacon cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. My boyfriend- Genetically Jewish. Genetically, <laughs> yeah. But also culturally, he's super okay, into it. He yeah. celebrates all of the things. But- but you can be so secularly you Jewish, can be so which is so secularly exciting. Jew, which you I can't love. do that in Christianity. No, you can't. It's I mean, like I, yeah. I, there's no way. Like I was raised Mormon. Like like I'm not like a reformed secular Mormon now. I'm just an atheist. <laughs> right, yeah. Like screw that. But my boyfriend, we did the 23 and Me, 98 percent Ashkenazi. And you ask him anything about Judaism, he's like, I don't fucking mm-hmm. know. <laughs> he's like, knows yeah. nothing about his culture. Like wow. Awesome. The freedom just to wet. discard your <laughs> exactly. past. I really want to do 23 and Me because my dad. Doesn't really never knew his real dad really. No, my mom didn't know her real dad. Yeah, and so I'm way more European than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm like we don't because my mom is uh, my mom's side is Italian. They all know that. Mm-hmm. My dad's mm-hmm. like my dad's mother was a liar, and his father, <laughs> his birth father, left early, and then his stepfather stepped in, and he was off the boat from Germany. So he we, he was like raised in a German household yeah, culturally. That's cool. So then we were raised sort of like and and the positive and negative aspects of having a German father yeah. Yeah. is you're waking up at nine a.m. and cleaning on Saturday. But now Very you might organized. be able to see like. Right. I wouldn't have any of that shit yeah, during no. the war. Like, those aren't my ancestors. <laughs> right, exactly. I want to find out. I know. And, and like, my, I think it's... Actually, when I started dating my wife, she was like, oh, so you say you're German and Italian. I'm like, yeah, I'm German and Italian. It's like, but your last name isn't the same last name as your dad's stepdad. I'm like, well, it's complicated. She goes, so you could be technically like blood something else because that's the you name Gabriel. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Of course I am. Of course. I never yeah. thought of that. Mm-hmm. And now I don't want to be the white guy who's like, actually, I'm culturally German, East, Eastern <laughs> European, genetically. Like, who cares? It's complicated. I'm white. I'm yeah, yeah. fat. He's like the first. <laughs> that's the word you use to describe me first. Like, no one, no one goes, hey, do you know that half Italian, half German guy? You're like the fat one. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> Doesn't matter what. <laughs> you've got great facial hair. You've got there's, there's many of things, defining yeah. characteristics. Yeah, I'm also tall, but no one ever says that tall guy first. <laughs> Because it's really hard. Let's yeah, start I a campaign, what you, <laughs> right? We're trying to judge you, right? I now. think people think it's like Eastern European because I'm a I'm a touch swarthy, and I get I can see Eastern European. I can see um like um no, Lith- I, Lithuanian. And yeah, and Gabrus is but like you're a darker. Czech goat god or something like that. Cool. Yeah, I see you as Mediterranean. Yeah, super my boyfriend's name is Gabriel. Are they the same roots? Are they? Gabriel's biblical though. I wonder mm. if Gabrus is shortened. Also, it that's could have been thing. shortened from a Gabriel kind of thing. Yeah, ultimately. The weird Gabrus, G-A-B-R-U-S, that word, if you look the hashtag up on Instagram, it's all like young Sikh dudes in turbans hanging out. Because Gabru, G-A-B-R-U, I think is like uh, the Punjabi... Um, dude or bro. Oh, so Gabru's is like multiple Punjabi bros. Right. <laughs> nice. So I wonder if I'm having that would be awesome. Oh, I would so be cool. so excited to find out. <laughs> <I'm doing. laughs> oh, but unfortunately, 23andMe, if you look at the breakdowns, it's so like like Europe, because again, their database is so white. Europe is like, oh, we know if you're French, Italian, German, whatever. And then as you start to get into Asia, it's literally like there's, I think there's three African breakdowns. There's like sub-Saharan, there's like North and maybe West. And then, yeah, like it's just East Asian. 
Yeah. Like that's it. There's mm-hmm. not even like there's no obviously eth- ethnically I don't know if you really could discriminate between like Indian and Pakistani. You probably could once you really got into it, but like no, it's all just yeah. you're basically from there. All I know is that now I'm doing 23 and me after this do conversation. It. Yeah. It's fascinating. I'm it's been on my mind a lot. Paranoid lately. about the Don't do it then. Yeah. I don't want to convince anybody who's paranoid. What are you paranoid about? I know. Oh, they're legitimate concerns. Like, They've got my thumbprint and now they're going to they later they're going to have already, my retinal so. scan later when the phones change to the face I thing. I can't, you know, there's a really great documentary called... They're going to frame me. I know it. Yeah. I'm a dissident. There's <laughs> a great documentary called Terms and Conditions May Apply by um, Colin Hoback, and it's so good. It's all about, like, the box you click before you, like, accept any sort of mm-hmm. privacy or security yeah. statements. Like, what are you giving away? Mm-hmm. And um, it, for most people, I think it's supposed to, like, enrage them, but for me, I was like, oh, we're so far gone at this point sure yeah. they already know it all about me that's anyway. kind of how i feel is that i feel like <laughs> if i'm gonna do online banking exactly. i gotta just kind of just say give it all over I'm fu- like if i'm gonna have thousands of pictures of myself on mm-hmm. a, a, a on an a easily accessible website for the anyone can look at then yeah. i think i have to just sort of deal with whatever the potential side effects but are. <laughs> the thi- like i think of uh, and i can you know i have a tendency to get a little bit paranoid but with thumbprints and then with DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, Next thing you the, know, there's like a, they're growing a Dave Farina I'm, I'm, in a I'm, lab. So. No, 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 not that. I'm <laughs> saying it, it, with that information, you can frame anyone for any crime. You can frame anyone for any crime and you can steal and, anyone's identity. Yeah, and um, that's how you, that's how you, in an authoritarian society, uh, destroy people and yeah. eliminate them and put them in, in jail forever for no reason. And the good news is and Just that, to find out you're 3% African. Exactly. <laughs> the good news it's not is worth that, like, it. I... I am not a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. I actually debunk conspiracy theories mm-hmm. on a regular basis. That said, I do understand that governments lie. I mm-hmm. do understand that the American government has a not so savory past. Yeah. Um, and there is some shadowy shit that happens. But ultimately, we don't live in an authoritarian society. You right. know, there so are we aspects, certainly don't now. Obviously, no, there are aspects. Uh, you know. I don't think that culturally and. Um, uh, constitutionally, we are right. at risk of going there. I think I don't think so. Either. We have the most prime pickings right now. Mm-hmm. A president who would be a dictator if he could, right. and it just can't happen here. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? No matter what, like crazy shit is happening, mm-hmm. and things are beyond the pale, and things are up against the line. I just but, think it's a non-zero probability. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. It's totally yeah. And so for me, I've I'm been just, watching The Handmaid's Tale. Like it's I get <laughs> it, and like you know, it's it's all again. I've com- been watching mostly diners, drive-ins, and dives. So forgive no, me. No, you I, haven't. <laughs> I hate that show. Oh well, then you're missing out. Oh my God. No idea what it is. I'm Don't sorry. you want to find out where they're doing meatballs their own way. I'm so sorry, but what's that guy's name? Guy Fietti. Garbage person. He, <laughs> I just cannot deal. No, the he, tips guy? he is the most painful human being to watch on he television. He is the mm-hmm. most a American person <laughs> on television. Unfortunately, he is TGI Fridays come to life. Oh my oh, god! You know who he's, he is? Yeah, he's like With Fajitas night at TGI Fridays. He is that as exactly? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where no, you're no, like, that makes sense. I understand why you would dislike Guy Fieri, <laughs> but I think he is also maybe a good person to study for the fu- like the yeah. sake of America. Work is. <laughs> out Friday happy hour yeah he's, like, li- yeah he's like living happy hour. he's like living eating uh, dumplings he, while you drink an IPA he's, yeah. he's living <laughs> escaping the corporate life yeah uh, my friend Streeter oh one time God. said he's the only person who's still living in a pre 9-11 world mm. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that means but I like it exactly it does, yeah. either, but like, it don't think it. too hard yeah. about it but yes yes dimensionality you know like really when it comes to 
the Colin Hoback documentary, when it comes to 23 and Me, when it comes to being framed for a crime you didn't commit. My, my very good friend Kelly, actually, she did. Have you seen the documentary series on Netflix right now? Um, uh, uh, con- uh, confession tapes. tapes. Yeah, my friend mm. Kelly made that, directed it. She, I worked with her on a project years ago, and then she did confession tapes. I had her on my podcast on Talk Nerdy to talk about it. And I mean, that if anything's going to spark those fears, like these coerced confessions for people who probably that did was, not commit these crimes, that was brutal yeah. to watch. It's brutal to watch because it's one of those things where there's no happy ending. At the end, it's like, and they've um used up all their appeals and now they're rotting in prison. And you're like, wow. Like the making a murderer every couple of years, the kid, Brendan Dassey is supposed to get out and then he doesn't get out. And you're like, he didn't do anything. He's been there for 20 years. That kid for sure. The other guy, we can have a conversation, but that poor kid. I don't know. He should still be in jail for putting a cat in a fire. (laughs) (laughs) He should have been in jail 20 years ago. That woman would maybe still be alive. (laughs) But so, so you look at this dimensionality and it really, you see it. It's like the Fibonacci sequence. Like it's Mm -hmm. everywhere in life, right? So, so even, when it comes to this very important issue that we're talking about, it's about privacy and convenience. Mm-hmm. And as you give a little privacy, you get more convenience. As you give up on the convenience, you get your privacy back. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because I think that the people that tend to be the most paranoid are one generation above, like the boomers. Like my parents still don't online shop yeah. because mm-hmm. they don't want somebody their to steal their identity. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I just double click on the side of my 10 and then I yeah. tap my phone on the thing, you know, it's in, <laughs> and like in Europe or mm-hmm. in, I was just in Hong Kong and everybody uses Apple Pay. Like they don't use swipe. Nobody has a card on them anymore. You mm-hmm. just need your phone and you go boop, yeah. boop, pay for that, boop, pay for that. In China, yeah. WeChat, think about it, the least amount of privacy the most convenience is China because it's authoritarian. So mm-hmm. China is that um, that Black Mirror episode with um, Bryce Dallas Howard where everybody's raiding everybody. Oh, the, oh, I love that one. That's so one of my favorite ones. That's a new system that they are integrating into WeChat in China right now. Raiding where each they other? Can ra- it's crazy. What's WeChat? Wow. So WeChat is that their Facebook? Like WeChat is their Facebook, but it's also their money. It's everything wrapped up into one. Oh, Why yeah. didn't Zuckerberg get over there? I know. So when one. I was in China, it was weird because like I don't have a WeChat. And so people would post things on the WeChat. And then there's this like weird thing that clones it. So you can see it on Instagram because it's their Facebook, their Instagram, their Twitter. But it's also their banking. It's their Venmo. It's, it's their, their Venmo. It's everything. So I played in this poker table where it's all they all do it digitally. And so the guy, my host had to go to the bank and get all this cash. And um, I cleaned up at that table. And it was like the weirdest thing because he had to like go into this weird box and like bring out. And the cash was like straight with, mm. the, with the wrapper. Like I felt like a criminal. You know what mm. I mean? But also their money is like worthless. So yes, it's like stacks. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> but that's but, like the best is like when you go to like a Canadian casino and you feel like you're playing with Jeffrey it was money. Amazing. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, these are like this is Toys R Us bucks. But the know. rest of them were just WeChatting each oh, other after. And they so... had to like figure out how to give me cash because I'm like, I don't have WeChat. I'm sorry. It was so weird. Mm-hmm. But so, but they can do that in an authoritarian society, you know, and again, it has total pluses. Like people love WeChat there because it's so convenient and they're so modern. Like you think about it, they're so much more modern, Mm -hmm. but also the government owns all their information and could easily just it off anyone. Can you imagine being a dissident and just, you know, and it's unsafe. It's very unsafe. And so worry about it. Absolutely. Totally (laughs) fair. Totally fair. Well, I didn't worry about it. (laughs) Now I am. Thank you, Dave. Now I have one new thing to talk to Barry about. (laughs) Hey, I'm concerned that I'm an American dissident. So, so I have a question for you. Um, And again, you don't, you know, you don't have to say this on on air if you're not comfortable. But have Uh, you? you, Because you just met me today. (laughs) I did just see you. So you have no idea that I have 
nothing I don't share. Do you? Oh, good. So do you get, when, when you go to therapy, do you file it with your insurance? Yes. Okay. So um, do, do you do the filing or does your therapist do it for you? He does it. He does it. So have you ever looked at a super bill? No. So do you know what your diagnosis is? No. You know you can ask. Oh, I can Totally ask. fair. You can totally ask. You can say, like, I, I would love to know what you're filing. Oh, like, am I a thing? You have to tell me. Well, because you have to have a diagnosis to get reimbursement from an insurance oh, right. company. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so that's yeah, where things that. start yeah. to get complicated in terms of this. Because, oh, going back to these, there's a reason I wanted to talk about dementia, or I'm sorry, about existential versus CBT versus whatever. So... Unfortunately, the American medical system, which is super broken and I have a lot of difficulty with. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're the only one. I'm the only <laughs> one ever who had a problem with this. Alone in that camp. You, so an ex, a very existential viewpoint, which is kind of based on like the, the writings of Yalom and of these different uh, psychotherapists who kind of were the, the, the leader sort of of this movement is that you should never diagnose if you don't have to. Unfortunately, in American Mm -hmm. society, you just can't do that. You have to diagnose, but it's sort of like do it as a last resort for the insurance company. Now, that's for what we think of as traditional psychotherapy for individuals who are dealing with um, uh, kind of issues with coping, issues with life changes, things of that nature. Um, Even I would say some of the like mood disorders and things like that. Um, For other reasons, if somebody probably would really benefit from psychiatric intervention, uh, meaning medical kind of taking medication, um, that's another great thing about existential is that they're very pro- uh, kind of c- communal model like psychiatric intervention is not poo-pooed it's not frowned upon whereas in some psychology it really bums me out mm-hmm. like cbt i think has a bad track record of being like oh well we can just cure all this behaviorally and like without mm-hmm. medicine you, without yeah, the, yeah no, that's i've gross. heard other students and other actual psychologists be like well the goal is to get them off meds and I'm kind of like, I don't really agree with that. Like mm-hmm. for some people maybe who are taking meds, who maybe are over medicated. Or the side effects it. are rising up to for be sure. as problematic for as sure. the symptoms that they're mm-hmm. taking. But I, I have a very strong view that it is an individual thing. Yeah, yeah. There's no one size fits all. I do not judge. I think that people who take medication, mm-hmm. if they need it, are imp- should be empowered to do so. Yeah. Are we, we saying that there's it. a spectrum to the medication yes. we oh should be going yes. um, And things get really complicated when we talk about mental illness that's so severe that maintaining your treatment regimen becomes a problem and that's generally only the case i want to say only in um severe types of psychotic disorders where you have a hard time understanding what's real and what's not Mm -hmm. in very severe types of bipolar disorder where you're experiencing a manic state sometimes when you're manic you feel so good that you think you don't need your meds anymore and that can be hard um and then um for just other like dementia kinds of problems like you know cognitive decline Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of where you just stop having the insight or the awareness that you need Mm -hmm. to do it but for a lot of other um psychiatric conditions they don't affect someone's I mean, they do affect your cognitive, even depression affects your cognitive state. You, yeah. You're a much slower thinker when you're depressed. Actually, the rule is you're not supposed to take IQ, t- you're not supposed to actually administer IQ tests to people who have a depression diagnosis because their score is probably going to be underrepresented. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? 
Oh man! Especially if the whole time they're like, oh, "I'm so depressed about how stupid I am." Well, there is that. That <laughs> wouldn't a, be good. Hardcore double down. But <laughs> definitely, even if you're like fully functional, you're you know you're in therapy, you're doing all these things. There's a chance that you, just having depression is actually slowing down the speed of your cognitive functioning, mm-hmm. and you're going to end up scoring lower than you would if you were fully treated, for mm-hmm. example. But then there's the catch twenty two. Like I take meds, but the meds make me really tired. And, and so one of the yeah there. exactly so one of the side effects is that although I think in many ways it helps in other other things I have to deal with it's worth it to me like I have mild sexual side effects and some um, side effects of kind of just tiredness you know yeah. uh, fatigue but those two things I'll take in a heartbeat over, over depression mm-hmm. I yeah. mean over yeah. feeling just a pervasive so yeah, sad. yeah. and not mm-hmm. just like dysthymia is sort of just being sad all the time and depression really is like this level beyond where a lot of people describe it and it's it was like this for me it's very different for different people where I think of it as almost like a, a there's a threshold situation so I'm always kind of bummed out and I'm always kind of sad but I'm functional and then something happens or I experience something and I if I drop below a threshold, I can't come back up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like futility of it yeah, all. Your so, law, yeah, your no, law. It's, it's David after dentist. Is this real life? <laughs> like, am I ever going to come back from that? And that's what it feels yeah, like, you know, when you're in trip, the depths man. of depression. It's terrible. Um, and so, yeah, and I'm sure that uh, going past that threshold might have some uh, minor sexual or minor tiredness mm-hmm. uh, well, effects. To, yeah. Yeah. What's the point? I had, <laughs> horny, I, there's a person in my life and I don't want to point, I don't want to give enough detail for people to be able to figure out who it was, but there's a person in my life who was severely depressed who was also an artist. That's all I'll say, but like a very well-established artist. And he struggled for years with whether or not he wanted to take medication. And one day his psychotherapist did such a great job um, kind of talking to him through it. And he was like, I'm just afraid I won't be as creative. I'm afraid I'm going to lose the depths. Yeah. And then he's like, when you're in the depths of these throes of depression, you're having an active depressive episode, are you creating? Right. And it's right. like, no. Some are, but most maybe not. A yeah. lot of times you're not, ex- you don't have any motivation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I need a lot of mental clarity to be creative. And it's also anything. the reason that, I mean, not to get super dark, like we can come right back out of this, because also in mentioning this, Dave, just so you know, you might have to put a suicide um, uh, disclaimer at the end a of the TW. thing. You just might have to read, oh. read the suicide okay. hotline number, because mm-hmm. when you talk about suicide, it's usually a good idea um, in media to do that. It's a journalistic rule. Podcasting's, you know, on Gray the fence, area. but better to do it than not. But a lot of times when people experience bipolar disorder where there's sometimes they shift wildly between manic and um, depressed, sometimes with bipolar too, it's hypomanic, so it's not as severe. A lot of times people who do end up committing suicide, unfortunately, don't do it during depression. You would think, oh, it's when they're at their lowest that they commit suicide, but they don't even have the motivation to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually when they're starting to feel better and people think they're coming out of it and they're like, oh, we're so happy for so-and-so. They seem to be coming around and then they do it, Mm -hmm. which is a huge bummer because they finally actually have... The the motivation. Yeah, because before they call it anhedonia. It's like this like lack of hedonism it's a lack of even wanting to find joy in anything Mm, so mm -hmm. you have no motivation to do anything in life Mm -hmm. it's a huge bummer you don't even see uh it takes you coming back out of it to see what you would deem the positive exactly and also you don't want to ever go back to that place now you have now you know because you can just remember what it was yeah so it's a really it's a really tough position to be in and that's i mean i guess if if you can take anything from this part of the conversation it's that if you have friends who experience severe cyclic depression or uh bipolar disorder which you do everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's Mm -hmm. got you know these these really intense issues just know that like that's when they might need you the most 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or just, you know, make sure you're there for them. Make sure they know they're loved and that, you know, if they... A lot of people are just scared to talk about it because they feel like nobody's going to understand or it's just they don't want to burn. A lot of times the problem with depression is that you have this double burden. You're, you're so depressed all the time that you and then you start feeling guilty about being depressed all the time, which yes. is like the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. So it's just good to have friends. who. I mean, that happens you know on such that. a small scale, too. Like if mm-hmm. you're just cranky and then you start feeling bad that you're mm-hmm. cranky around your partner, like mm-hmm. and then you're more cranky than you're doubling down on taking yeah. out. I can. And I'm only I'm only trivializing it for me to help understand it because like then you increase that exponentially to the level of depression and then you're like no one, I shouldn't even be around them I'm gonna fuck like well the, and the problem know. is it does bum them out sometimes too like there's a reality component to that where like I've known plenty of people who are in relationships with people with depression who refuse to seek treatment and they're like I can't be with this person anymore because I don't enjoy them it, it, like yeah. they're yeah. you know yeah. like yeah. I just wish that they would get help because like the fact that they're refusing to get help it's bringing me down all the time right. so that's also and why a, do I have to sacrifice my happiness exactly yeah. it's yeah. a tough mm-hmm. thing you know it's like that's why I always I, I always promote treatment in whatever form you can get it and find what works I for agree. you yeah. 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 Like, whether it's whether it's uh, actual drugs or mm-hmm. simply therapy yeah if, and or, for some people talk therapy yeah. is more than enough for some yeah. people drugs are more than enough for a lot of people they need both mm-hmm. I need both and I'm happy uh, and you I, know, I will say it. as uh, as the f- uh, I am the fattest person at the table, but exercise, sleeping, drinking plenty of water, I, I had no. You have no idea how like <laughs> you're you're limiting your resources of That's happiness true. to begin with. Yeah. Before any of that, like, and I like how you put it too because it's like a, a happiness resource. I think that what happens sometimes with mental illness is that with severe mental illness, I should say, is that people um, will look at it like it's a disease of will. And they'll be like, oh, you're just bringing it just upon yourself. Why through, yeah, why don't you yeah. power through? And this power positive thinking movement is very dangerous, I think, in American mm-hmm, society, mm-hmm. Um, both for that and for other reasons which we could get into. Yeah. But um, it has its place, but we need to put it in a small box. And yeah, just, I don't, personally, I don't even think know. it has its place. But that, ooh, mm-hmm. maybe we should have. I don't, I'm that. not even sure what can you're referencing, do, but can positive we do thinking. We a hundred more episodes, please, Dave. <laughs> we may. Um, I'm free. But so, so. I think what ends up happening is that people start to like miss the con- like I did a piece about depression early in my career as a science communicator on YouTube and there were all and I was like came really clean about my own experiences and there were still people that were like oh you're privileged how could you have depression or they would be like oh you just aren't exercising and like they would say things like yeah, that and you're no, like that's ignorance that's, hell, yeah that's bullshit but well, that's like saying when someone's like upset and you're like how could they be upset they're a millionaire and exactly like, it's like are you kidding me like yeah. how could robin williams have you know done what he it's like because he mm-hmm. was sick you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. but so that said um i do think though we again can't be so extreme as to deny the power of those things because really i think that having structure having good sleep hygiene having um, good relationship hygiene, doing things like uh, making sure that you eat well, that you exercise are They're endlessly beneficial. Things. Endlessly yeah. beneficial. Mm-hmm. They're not going to cure your depression, no. but they will help with your treatment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, and I personally don't even like to use words like cure because cure really only is a medical term that should be used for things like infection. Right. Like if you it's can't, something that has a genetic basis. Exactly. Or if it's something where you... Identity. Exactly. Yeah. Or even if it's something where like cancer, you can't cure cancer. We always talk about finding a cure for cancer. Mm-hmm. That shows a limited yeah, understanding of what cancer is it, as a quote-unquote disease state. Very ignorant. Yes. But, a cure-all. <laughs> but you can cure a st- strep infection yeah. with 
antibiotics and then you no longer have the strep Those infection. bacteria in your body. Exactly. Yeah. So there are things you can cure and there are things you can treat like mm -hmm. HIV. Like mm -hmm. we're very good now at treating HIV and plenty of people can live a long, very healthy life with HIV because they are in treatment. Mm -hmm. So, and that's how I view my depression. I'm actively in treatment. I still have depression. Mm -hmm. I know what it feels like when I accidentally skip three days in a row of my drugs. It has a short half-life and I feel it again. Mm -hmm. I know. But the great thing is my treatment is modulated in such a great way that I can still watch a movie about Steve Gleason and cry ugly on a plane. Mm -hmm. I'm not incapable You're not of feeling. Unfeeling, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just putting you at where just putting your brain chemistry where it needs to be. Absolutely. To and function and at, working at really optimal. hard with my therapist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like doing that talk therapy that I yeah. need to do that. Now I do think with this dimensional conversation, it's also important to talk about, and I think suicide, the reason I bring up suicide is because it's a pretty extreme example. And it's an example that we have hard data on. It's an quote unquote, easy thing to measure. Like you can say, you know, if these people committed suicide in their lives, it was probably linked to something. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, though, it's more of a euthanasia situation. It's more of a, like, dying with dignity situation. So let's say we, like, we remove that from mm -hmm. the conversation and we simply talk about suicide as a result of mental illness, whether it's treated or not. What you will sometimes see is that people who, quote, unquote, were never sick their whole lives lose their job, get divorced become homeless, all these things. And suicide might un unfortunately be an outcome of these kinds of things. And you see it mm -hmm. a lot, like during recessions, the suicide rate always peaks. Yeah. And so then you're like, wait a minute. I thought only people who were mentally ill commit suicide. And then you're like, wait, did he become mentally ill because of these life experiences? Or is it just circumstantial? Yeah. Or is there a mental illness in all of us that really it's, again, it's a function just like cancer. Mm -hmm. Everybody has onco, uh, oncogenes and everybody has tumor suppressor genes, mm -hmm. right? And anybody has the potential to get cancer if they're exposed to enough carcinogens. Right. Some people, unfortunately, have certain genetic deficits where they get like leukemia's babies. And it's mm -hmm. really sad because they were more susceptible to the, that cancer. And some people smoke their whole lives. It's like, how the hell did grandma get out with no lung cancer? Yeah. She smoked every day of her life and I ate just, red meat all the time. I just see it as a game of chance. You know, you're going to get such and such a number of mutations. And if exactly. they're all just not in the in that part of the gene, you know, yep. it's But just those a game mutations chance, yeah. are environmental. Mm -hmm. The genes, the ability to, uh, like, not whether or not you get the mutations, but how many mutations are required Required right. for you or to start, or in what part of the genome, or in what part of the yeah. genome for you to start multiplying those those cancer yeah. cells, mm -hmm. might be the genetic yeah. component, and those things go hand in hand. And then now we know about epigenetics, and they feed off of each other, and there's right. all this really complicated shit. Mm -hmm. So if you think about psychiatry or psychology from that perspective, we all. Like I learned this when I was doing my journalism work. I, I did a piece on homelessness and it took a lot of turns and eventually it turned into a piece that I never expected to do where I hung out with this guy who lived in a riverbed in Santa Clarita who was like an ex-Boeing engineer. Mm -hmm. And it was like just I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, anybody could be in your shoe. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just... Anybody. It's like what, and it's not even like one bad decision. It's literally like one bad thing happens to you that you have no control over. And then you get this mm -hmm. cascade of events. There's a lot of th things that could lead to bankruptcy and then bankruptcy leads to uh, so many things. things from there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean, there is good evidence to show that 
financial security is actively linked to mental oh, linked yeah. to mental health. It's my only sure. source of stress is money. Most I mean, people, it's their biggest source of stress. Nothing else is money. That stresses me really at yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. And even once you make decent money, it's the right. anxiety of like, well, will I keep <laughs> it? Will yeah. I maintain it? Because we'll just keep going. I need a. I want a home. I'm right. you know, renting. And you know, weirdly, you think about a lot of people who are rich, mm-hmm. like rich. Um, some of them are quite financially secure, but mm-hmm. some of them actually, when you're like, how could this person be stressed about money? Right. Like, I can't imagine. They're actually the people who are often making incredibly risky investments. Right. They're often the people who are basically in their way living a freelance lifestyle because they're CEOs and they're in charge of big decisions and things mm-hmm. like that. So right. so they're really, or even in, in entertainment. I, I dated a guy once who was like a big TV personality and he was so stressed about money all the time. And I was like, you make so much money. Yeah. Like you could retire right now and he's like yeah but i don't know if i'm gonna get renewed next season and then it's a whole live off of how much money you have it's true but but also if you never get hired again you know like Mm -hmm. you can't visualize being a waiter again you know what i mean like it's very difficult as mm -hmm. someone who's in that and that's an important component too like i can't remember what it's called maybe we'll get like like letter letters people don't send letters but emails or something i'll write you a letter thank you write me a (laughs) handwritten like look this up and we can get a handwritten letter later Mm -hmm. but make sure you look it up in in a hardcover encyclopedia i don't have anything else <laughs> but there's this my Encarta CD got broke yeah. so I <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've not thought about wow, that I haven't heard that word many a so year <laughs> there's a psychological phenomenon that's like a stair step phenomenon where do we all remember being in college yeah. yeah. Do we all remember eating ramen noodles and being totally okay with it? And I'm not talking about bougie LA ramen. I'm I talking meal about plan. I mean, I, I I remember the cup of noodles and the cup ramen. of noodles. Yeah. 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 Do we all that, remember but... like having five roommates and like there being like roaches in our yeah. apartments? Yeah. Is that like we've all lived like this and we were totally fine with it at yeah, the time? Yeah, we were stoked. I mean, I think it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it is that aspect of just like you know, I, I look at where I lived, you know, right out of college, and then a few years later, and then where I'm, I am now, and it's it's always just about not wanting to go back. You, c- you just, it, you, it's you actually only want to go forward. Inc- incredibly psychologically painful to go yeah. back and there, there are plenty of studies that show that like reverting back to kind of an earlier state of progress is actually mm-hmm. incredibly stressful and yeah. depressing for a lot that's of like people that's like the double down on a divorce for some people or for a big breakup is not only are you heartbroken about mm-hmm. your partner leaving you but you're also heartbroken because now You've I got a fucking this, date yeah. again you know like well, there's an element like, of like I'm going back to living alone I'm going back to blah 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 and maybe yeah. I can't afford this house anymore right. mm-hmm. or Maybe like, I'm stuck with the kids and now I have to move into an apartment. And I'm, I mean, that's why alimony exists, right? Mm-hmm. Which like we didn't have in Texas where I was growing up. Like you saw so many single moms get fucked mm-hmm. because they didn't have alimony. Like we think about alimony here and we're like, that's kind of a gross system. But like, again, it's the extreme opposite like of another abused, system. But, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Ideally, there's a happy medium where people, where pe- people get used to certain advantage. lifestyles. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, it's easy for everybody to go like, your lifestyle is over the top. Like you could handle mm-hmm. living in, you know, a 10,000 square foot house instead of a 30,000 square yeah. foot house. 10,000. <laughs> How about 3,000? Yeah. Exactly. But it's but, also in the same breath, it's unfair that if, uh, you were raising the family and mm-hmm. while someone mm-hmm. else was making the money then they go alright well I'm leaving you're the family I keep the monetary money. value to that role though I wonder you know what I mean there yeah. might be like that's actually there's a there's a an actual profession called oh what is it where they do the actuary tables and actuary mm-hmm. tables aren't just about death like I saw this a lot when I worked for a neuropsychologist who is also a forensic psychologist so he did only assessment that's what I was trained on before I went to grad school so people would come in And they would have some sort of brain damage and we would give them a battery of neuropsych tests and then say like, okay, you you need, you should qualify for services or not. 
But sometimes people would come in and they'd be like, I took this cough medicine and I had a stroke. And oh, now Jesus. this is yeah. what it is. And so my shrink would uh, calculate how what their post-morbid, their, their after the incident functioning is. They would try to use forensic you know, skills to figure out how they were functioning pre-morbidly based on the jobs that they had and if they had a previous IQ test that was great. If not, you know, how were their grades in high school, all that stuff. And then there were these lawyers, basically, whose jobs it was to look through these actuarial tables and calculate the earning potential of somebody mm -hmm. who, like, functions at that level throughout the lifespan. Now the earning potential of somebody who functions at this reduced level the throughout difference? the lifespan. And yeah. this is how much money this drug company owes them for making them have a stroke oh, it's so, so weird crazy. i know like Which they're actually a lot of sense. it's the same reason that when you look at your health insurance there's mm -hmm. literally like loss of limb loss of finger is yeah. it a pinky finger is it an index because it affects your ability to work right if you lose an in a pinky finger you're you kind of don't get much money <laughs> right you lose a thumb i cannot hold an object exactly. in this hand <laughs> your life is a complete yeah, you know totally it's so crazy but they and do have job, to that changes if you're a heating uh, right. ventilation yep. if you're a pianist uh, all the pinky yeah. you need the pinky is that. very important. I can't play an octave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. You go to your insurance company and you're like, no, I'm in a band. They're like, yeah, but you are a science com. You're a science communicator. You're like, but I'm also in a band. Do something about band. this pinky. Yeah. They're like, Psycom was just a route to the music and now you're screwing me on my 10-year plan. That's the hard thing too. Sadly, it's like, that's all true. How much money do you make making music? And you're like, none. Nothing. But how much money could you I make in 10 years? To, yeah. Yeah, the potential. Eh? Yeah. Oh, that's some crazy shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, now you know, bullshit. not to not to lament about music careers that could have been, but uh, coming back to the topic, I, I'm pretty convinced. I like uh, I like this dimensional aspect, and we're seeing how it applies to mental illness and pretty much everything else that we can think about. Do you come around so, in every episode? Uh, usually do, especially because <laughs> I typically am just like, hey, the earth is flat, right? Yeah, especially because you already oh, have that yeah. viewpoint. Here I was a little bit sort of, you know, I, I, I didn't really think too much about it. I, mm -hmm. I came into it being like, all right, some are dimensional, some are categorical, right? I mean, and that's a lot that, of, right, you know? actually a lot of psychologists, that's their viewpoint. Yeah. They might say with severe mental mm -hmm. illness, a categorical approach is the most... Um, functional approach yeah. and with non-severe mental illness um, a dimensional approach makes more sense mm -hmm. I personally think a dimensional approach always makes sense but you're right sometimes there's the difference between the theory and the practice right yeah and then so you if have we have to, to diagnose yeah, or you have, have to yeah. prescribe sometimes you require mm -hmm. they either have it or they don't but if nothing else what I'm coming away from this conversation with is now I get to tell everybody that I have social anxiety I'm obsessive compulsive and maybe autistic as well right you think so <laughs> I don't think that you're any of those things uh, I'm, I'm definitely I think, I think I have OCD, OCD is I, I, I think OCD. Do. Oh, really? You're, yeah. you're diagnosable it's, OCD. It's, I mean, I've never been diagnosed, but I know I have it. You, it's mild, but I mean, mild. Okay. Yeah. It's it's OCD is a really interesting thing because it's one of those things where mental illness advocates, like mm -hmm. people who are all about erasing the stigma, get mad when people throw the word OCD around right. that don't actually have the diagnosis. Like, right. oh, I'm so OCD, my closet's really organized, and it's like, wow, that or really, ADD too. yeah, That's or ADHD. Yeah. ADD is probably the classic overdiagnosis. Totally, but, yeah. but like this is one of those things where it's not over diagnosed it's just in popular parlance mm -hmm. people say it all yeah. the time and then they're like i don't think you really know what it's like no. to live well it's like when, some, like when like someone's like oh he's being such a nazi about that <laughs> it's like yeah, he's killing you know so many jews yeah. about and, and like people do it thing. all yeah. the time with mental yeah. illness i mean we did I do it at the beginning I do it. I, i'll say I w i've been so flippant about that in the past of saying mm -hmm. like oh uh, like in casual conversation like yeah oh, this guy's on the spectrum you know what i mean right. and it's like and it's just but could be i mean you know but that doesn't even if they are i should 
shouldn't say that. I've mused with being a blip on the spectrum, and my wife is like, no, you're not. No, <laughs> I have like, too, for sure, yeah. because like a lot of my friends, you know, we yeah. work in science. Like it's just we have the higher kind of proportion of people there. Mm-hmm. But that said, um, I have been learning a lot being on SGU and being on Talk Nerdy. How many of my listeners will write in and say things like, Kara, like you kind of disappointed me this week when you use terminology in like this really flippant way. Like mm-hmm. I say crazy all the time. That is so right. crazy. That's nuts. That's yeah, bananas. Too. And like I've started to change it to like that's bananas right. instead Which of that's funnier insane. Anyway. Saying. It is mm-hmm. funnier, but and I'm realizing, of course, this is a skill I'm going to need as a psychotherapist. I can't be like that's so crazy. Yeah, if, if somebody in the like, room, yeah, a car drove on the highway next to me. You're like, that's nuts. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to hear your psychiatrist. No, say. but nuts when, you can say nuts is like bananas, right? Well, the thing Take is, <laughs> when somebody who's in the room has been called that their whole life as mm-hmm. a pejorative, yeah, that's when trigger, you start to realize, yeah. oh my gosh, like my sister struggles cognitively, and when I was young, I would call her stupid, and now that I'm older and I realize what it meant, when I was like, you're so stupid, how incredibly painful and you that just meant like her. you're stupid you're my sister like exactly that kind of or like don't be stupid i didn't mean like your iq is lower right. than mine mm-hmm. like how what a horrible thing to hear you know and now i'm so much more sensitive to mm-hmm. that as an adult and it's hard to be sensitive to everything and i know that we're living in this like world where everybody has to like we're gonna overcompensate mm-hmm. and then we're gonna sort it out then yeah, we're gonna i think that's, i think there's with. i think there's nothing wrong with being we'll like equilibrate yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but i am now much more careful about throwing away uh, throwing around terms like oh that's so OCD of me or like oh my god like mm-hmm. that was such ADD I cannot get this paper done yeah it's or like, like oh my god like I was just totally schizophrenic that day like right. that's a terrible thing to say what a lunatic I a had lunatic. to have my yeah. left foot touch as many cracks on the sidewalk as my right foot did while I was walking for that whole mile that was so OCD of <laughs> okay me. that's totally appropriate you yeah. can definitely no, I, have to, I have like weird symmetry issues yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's but um I, I know a lot of people them, have that yeah. too mm-hmm. yeah is there an element of OCD where you there the compulsion element is not as much in there mm-hmm. as just obsessive yeah right? obsessive yeah. compulsive disorder again it's yeah, super so. dimensional right. so some people require treatment some people are, are fine some people require drug treatment some people are fine with um, behavioral treatment usually um, that's when cognitive behavioral therapy it's I really just good smoked with, a lot of pot OCD. and realized how weird I was, and then I tried to stop. Some people can do it that it way. Sometimes, a lot. sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And for some people, it, it's all about the obsessions, and they can be so difficult. It's basically constant anxiety. You're mm-hmm. obsessing over everything, and it gets in the way of you being able to focus. Yeah. For some people, it's all about the compulsions. Some compulsions are more dangerous. Washing can be a really dangerous compulsion. Harming can be a dangerous compulsion. Checking, less dangerous, but in some ways more dangerous socially, right? If Mm -hmm. you're having to constantly check your locks, if you're having to tap things, step over a threshold 10 times before you mm-hmm. can cross it. Yeah, I don't it. do any of that. Yeah. It can really get in the way of your like interactions with people. For a lot of people, the reason that they have these things is because there are obsessive thoughts and the compulsions quell the obsessive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so mm-hmm. it's about working on living in the unknown. It's about sitting with... So let's say somebody feels like if I don't lock the door or if I don't check the oven 10 times my baby is going to die in in a house fire, regardless of if they're connected, it's going to happen. That's so strange to me. And then the treatment is often working on not locking the door and sitting with the anxiety, but then afterward realizing realizing nothing happened. And you have to do it over and over and over. It takes a long time, this kind of exposure therapy, but it it does work. And so for a lot of people, 
And that's where therapy comes in. You might be doing this weird thing with symmetry and with cracks and you're doing it because it's quelling some sci- some type of fundamental anxiety that you might not even be in touch with. Perhaps. I, I think it's just yeah, an it's obsession with not. symmetry though. I, I don't, or I did this other thing. When I was a little kid, uh, I, 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 the best way I can describe it is I felt the potentiality of my vocal cords to resonate and I wanted to actualize that potentiality or something mm. like that. And so I'd be in class, I'm like 11 or something, and I just go, hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And people were like, what are you doing? That could be You're like a making mi- that noise over and over again. It could be like and a mild form of Tourette's. Yeah, yeah it was something yeah. strange. But it was like, but it wasn't involuntary. I was doing it on purpose and it was, I can't really even explain it. Just but the, again, I think it's a spectrum so because strange, yeah. it, a lot of times when you look at these spectrums, it could be a function of, does the person have insight? Mm-hmm. Maybe it actually is voluntary, but they're not aware of how to control it. You yeah. know, they don't know how to develop the voluntary suppression and right. you might be slightly better at that than somebody else, but the compulsion yeah, is still there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of this stuff comes down to, I mean, by and large, psychological inter- intervention, we've seen over and over that insight is a massive, um, uh, it helps with improvement in psychological intervention. Mm-hmm. The lower the insight, the harder it is for somebody to actually benefit from treatment. And so as somebody who's high functioning person, who is highly intelligent, who has a lot of insight into your own inner workings of your mind, you may be able to cross certain thresholds that some people mm-hmm. need the help of a psychiatrist mm-hmm. or a psychologist mm-hmm. to cross. But that said, I fundamentally believe that you have <laughs> probably some sort of anxiety yeah. That you're quelling by mm-hmm. doing these compulsions. And oh, so it would be really interesting yeah, to like, dig deep into that with your therapist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. I want to know. What is yeah. It? What huh? is it that's making you feel so uncomfortable that um, until something is symmetrical, you're calm? Yeah. You know what I it's mean? It can't all be aesthetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I there find, are some yeah, aesthetics, yeah, of yeah. course. And there's some things everybody has when it's like, oh, I'm so OCD. Right. My house is pristine. Yeah. I don't consider that to be OCD, but it's on the spectrum. I obsess about aesthetic in many ways. Yeah. I have a function in my shower. Like, I don't know if you guys do this, but like I, I shower the exact same way every time. Do you do this? It's no, like pretty much, first scrub yeah. my face, yeah. then uh, shampoo, then condition. While the conditioner's on my hair, I do the body wash, mm-hmm. you know, then shave. And then I wash the conditioner out before I wash my face yeah, because I don't totally want to conditioner Totally wash my, on my body, face. then let, shave my legs in that. Or there you go. But yeah. it's like, it's funny because some people have this, I shave my legs while driving. It's a structure. It's just easier to save time It's way. also very human to want to have structure, right? Oh, that's yeah. what I'm so, working on with my, uh, yeah. is adding, because in, in a profession with no structure. And so you might actually be on the opposite side of the same spectrum where there are people who are, are, are doing these intense compulsive things to quell anxiety you're having to learn just how to have structure in order to maintain some amount of like self-control like you might be on the other side of it so it's It's, really i would vacation in that brain (laughs) i know a lot of people are like please i'm learning i'm learning Mm self-control and talk about compulsions i i'm not obsessed i guess i am like my wife my wife and i talk about this a lot because we're both you know, on our non non at all science brain saying like, well, if you obsess about things all the time and then are compulsed to do things, aren't we? Because we're both like that. But I'm compulsed to respond to people. That's mm-hmm. something I can't not do. And I kind of like that. And I think it's because I'm just like a performer. So lifelong, right. I've been like, time to say something. And yeah. now, but now I find it like, 
there's some weird justice and now I can't like let thing like if someone like just yeah. does something I'm like oh weird is that where you want to put that sauce can and I'm like that doesn't help anyone yeah, and I can't the next phase of psychotherapy is going to be learning to pick your battle <laughs> yes yes <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense so where do you stand whereas as the moderator you get to uh I'll oh, do you have decide. like a gong or something? Yeah. <laughs> I will say, I mean, if we're going to go to the official debate format, I got to give the debate to Kara because, I mean, you didn't prove your side too strongly, <laughs> but that wasn't Damn the it. true. Um, I'm 0 for 7 on this podcast. <laughs> and, maybe, <laughs> and maybe it wasn't the best choice to bring me in for this because I'm someone who believes that there is like a spectrum to no, just about everything. Just about everything. I really right? just wanted you to elucidate, yeah, all, yeah. all of these aspects uh, and of course, that we may not be aware of. I'm by no means an expert on this topic. I'm just now learning about it myself. Self, and things might might change for me personally. There are other people who could speak about this in much deeper ways. There are a lot of great books out there on the topic if you're really interested in it. Um, there's a de- deep and rich history of the way that the DSM has been written. If that's something that interests mm-hmm. you, um, there are great kind of treaties on that. Um, but I, I, you know, I I dabble. Hopefully, it, it was a it was a cursory <laughs> review. An academic dabbling. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, we'll have you back whenever you have something new to report. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll do. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you, Dave. Bye, everybody. <laughs>